you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 1 again this morning. Matthew chapter 1. Last Sunday morning, we we looked at this same passage, and I told you we're going to do the chapter in two parts. The message would be in two parts. Last week... We talked about Emmanuel, his ancestry. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Emmanuel, his arrival. Now, last week, we, we looked at the genealogy of Christ, and we, we talked about why that is important. It preserved or it emphasized uh, Jesus' uh, royal lineage as being part of the line of King David, it emphasized Jesus' racial uh, lineage as well as being a descendant of Abraham, who was the father of the Jews. And then we talked about those five women that are found in the genealogy. Uh, Tamar, who uh, was forsaken, um, uh, she was not given Judah's third, Judah's third wife, third son, he gave him the first two and they both died. And Judah said, I don't, I'm not, I don't want, I don't want Sheila to become her husband. He'll die too. And so she devised a scheme, uh, that was pretty evil and trapped her father-in-law. And, uh, but she's in, in the lineage of Christ. Um, Rahab, who was by definition a harlot, her profession was, that she was a, if you want to call that a profession. But anyway, the Bible says she was a harlot, and yet she hid the spies uh, that Joshua sent in, and and the Lord used them, used her in that situation. But more significant is the fact that she's in the line of Christ. And then Ruth, who was a Gentile, uh, then Bathsheba, whose name is not even mentioned. It's interesting. I didn't I didn't mention that last week. But in verse number six, it says, "And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Uriah." So, uh, so Matthew, in his listing of the genealogy, doesn't even use her name. He says, "This is the one who uh, was the wife of Uriah, by whom David had uh, uh, a son named Solomon." And then, of course, there was Mary, who was the favored woman. Uh, the Lord chose to use her uh, in the birth of his son. Well, now we're going to look beginning in verse 18. So if you'll join me as we, uh, as I read through aloud, follow along if you would. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now this account picks it up from where Mary was already pregnant. And uh, Joseph learns about it and, and gives us the account of how Joseph found out what was going on with Mary and how he accepted the message that came from the angel and embraced what was going on. He did so by faith, much like Abraham left Ur to go where God wanted him to go. And uh, and Noah built the ark and, and, and we can go through a whole list of things. He did so by faith. But uh, but the important thing that we find in this passage that I think is very specific that is often passed up is the fact that it says in verse number 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, when you talk about the arrival of Christ, the fact that he came to this world, we so often spend a great deal of time and, and, and expend a lot of effort in talking about all the circumstances that surround his birth. I mean, we talk about the star, we talk about the census, we talk about him coming and there's not any room at the end, and, uh, and how he has to be born in a cave, laid in a manger, all of those kinds of things. We put a great deal of emphasis upon that and how he was God and, 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 and was born in a manger. All those, all those kinds of things. Things that surround the central truth of what occurred that night. And that, that statement in verse number 23, where it says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. His coming was miraculous. His coming was majestic. It was mysterious, but it was very, very meaningful. And it was meaningful because of who it was that was born. It was because of the fact that Emmanuel, God came to be or to dwell with us. Now, to understand the significance of that, we need to go back over to the book of John. Every every gospel mentions the birth of Christ in its own way. John, you know, you would say, well, John didn't even mention it. Well, he did mention it. It's just a little different, and it's uh, and it's not not specific to all of the events that transpired around it. It doesn't talk about the manger. It doesn't talk about the star. It doesn't talk about the, the wise men coming and following him, the shepherds being there. It doesn't talk about any of that stuff. It just says in a very simple form, in verse number 14, where it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now that's about as concise an expression of what took place in the Christmas stories you can find anywhere in Scripture. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now those of you who've been here at Trinity, who are members of Trinity, we've talked about this before, let me share something with you that I think is is significant. If you look at verse number 1 and then combine that with verse 14, there's some very specific things that kind of match up. And uh, and nothing in Scripture is accidental. 
Uh, and I'm not tech, trying to make more of it than it is, but, but it, but it clarifies some things, I think, and puts them in a little different perspective, from a little different light. Verse number one says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's take the first phrase of verse number one, in the beginning was the Word, and come down to verse 14, and it says, and the Word was made flesh. Look at the second phrase. And the Word was with God. Look at the second phrase of verse 14. And it says, and dwelt among us. So, in the beginning was the Word, but the Word was made flesh. The Word was with God, but that Word came to dwell among us. And then verse 1, the last part of the verse says, and the Word was God. And look at the last part of verse 14. It says, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see the connection there? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh. And the Word was with God, but it came to dwell among among us. And the Word was God, and we beheld His glory. That's That was what was true at the time for those who were living when Jesus came to this earth. Now the sad thing is, there is a verse in verse number 11. This is the sad response of the Jews. He came unto his own, his own received him not. But then, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's the ultimate goal of his coming. But now I want, I want you to, I want to take a, a few moments and talk about who it is that came to this earth. And the word was God. The Word was God. Do you understand what that means? We often say that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. That's true. The Bible says that very clearly. But the fact is, the sovereign God of the universe came to earth. He came in human flesh and took on the form of a man and he became the Son of God. How does God become his own son? I'm not sure how that works. We don't have to understand all that. When Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus cried out, said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How can God in heaven, or God on the earth, be forsaken of God in heaven? They're the same person. He was God on the cross. But God in heaven, he was forsaken of God in heaven. I don't know how, how that works, but we know it's true because the Bible says it is. So, when we talk about the one who came to this earth, it was literally the sovereign God of eternity. He was the creator of the universe. And uh, and that is significant for a number of reasons. We are very different from God. And uh, And when we get saved, we're transformed. We gain a righteousness that is not ours. And, and, and we are becoming more like Christ as we grow spiritually. And there's coming a day when we are, we're going to become like Christ in the sense we're going to have glorified bodies and, uh, and, and we're going to be free of sin. And the most wonderful thing that's going to happen when we get our glorified bodies is this flesh is going to be gone. That is going to be exciting. I am looking forward to that. You know what? When I get to heaven, I'll never have to have another tooth worked on. I won't have any teeth pulled in heaven. 
I'm not going to, I won't have to go every year and get my eyes checked and maybe get new glasses and all that kind of stuff. I won't have to say to Brian, can you repeat that so that I can hear it? All of those things are going to be gone because we're going to have glorified bodies. What it does not mean, it does not mean that we're going to be in, and we're going to be like, like Christ, but, but it does not mean we're going to be like Him in who we are. Uh, Psalm 86 and verse number 10 talks about all the wonderful works which God has done. And, uh, and then it says at the very end of the verse, it says, Thou art God alone. And we need to remember, we need to be careful about how we characterize what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Because there are certain things that are going to be true that are going to be wonderful. We get to heaven, we're, we're, our, our, our nature is going to be transformed because of our salvation. Our flesh is going to be transformed because we are going to have glorified bodies. And, uh, and we're going to, there are certain things that are like God that we're going to be like as well. For example, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to love the way God loves. I think we're going to love just like God does unconditionally, and it it won't be a problem because there's not going to be any evil. Right now, our love is hindered by our, our, our persuasions, our, you know, we call it, some people call it bigotry, and there are lots of terms. Prejudice, we all have them to some degree, and, uh, and they won't be gone until we get to heaven, but it, but that, that affects our ability to love. Uh, we have still have capacity for hatred and bitterness and lots of things that interfere with our ability to love. We get to heaven, all that's going to be gone, and we'll be able to love like God does. When we get to heaven, we're going to be completely and fully righteous. All of our sins are going to be gone. We will be like God in the sense that we are righteous because we have not our own righteousness, but His righteousness. And His righteousness is absolutely perfect. There's not going to be any injustice in heaven, so we are going to be just. We're going to treat everybody the way they should be treated. We're not going to, we're not going to, going to create problems because we say things, and we're not going to create problems because we assume things are true that weren't said. People make, make, a big mistake when they assume they know everything that is true about somebody because of they heard a phrase or they saw something. You know, it's like that uh, story I heard one time about the guy that was so self-conscious that he always thought everybody was talking about him. He was sitting in a restaurant one day, and uh, and he was he was insecure. He looked himself in the mirror and thought, "There's nothing anybody would think very kindly of me about." You know, I mean, I, I'm not very impressive. He was sitting at the table, and there was a group of women that came in. They sat down at another table, and they're sitting there talking about each other, talking to each other about lots of different things. And he looked over and saw them, and, and one of them was looking at him. And uh, and she turned back around, looked at the ladies, and said something, and they all started laughing. And that happened two or three times. And he got angry because they were laughing at him. They didn't even know he existed. You know, they were just, they're just sitting there having their meal and enjoying their time. And she looked around and, and glanced at some of the people. And he assumed and was very miserable because they were laughing at him. 
That's an exaggeration, but it happens all the time, even among those of us who are Christians. There won't be any injustice in heaven, and we won't mistreat people, and we won't be creating problems within our own self because we're assuming certain things are true because nobody will do any of that kind of stuff in heaven. There are lots of things about God that we are going to reflect because of the fact that we're believers. But there are some things about God that will never be true of us because we are created beings and we will always be created beings. So who is this, the God of eternity, who became flesh and dwelt among us? Well, let me give you three things that, that I think sometimes we assume are going to be true when we get to heaven that are not. And I've heard preachers preach this. I'm not criticizing anybody else for what they preach. I'm just saying that I don't believe this. these, these three things are ever going to be true of us. Three things that are true of God. Number one... He is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know. The Bible says we get to heaven, we will know even as we are known. I'm not sure exactly how far that statement goes, but I do know this, that even with glorified bodies having been converted because of our salvation, putting our trust in Christ, we still are not going to know everything that God knows. We'll spend tens of millions of years in heaven and we'll be learning the whole time we're there and when that time is done, we still won't know everything there is to know. But God does know everything there is to know. He is the one who created everything. He understands everything. I saw a a, a documentary recently where they talk about social media and they talk about Facebook. And Facebook... They record everything that you do on Facebook. Did you know that? They have, they have a profile for you. I mean, you set one up, but they have a profile for you in their database. It may be somewhere out in the middle of the ocean underneath the sea in a, in a place that the, 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 uh, the, uh, servers are, are the storage is. But uh, but they, when you scroll through and you see something, you scroll through and you pass and you say, well, wait a minute. And you go back and you look at it. It's recording the fact that you looked at it and how much time that you spent looking at it. Everything that you do, everything. And this guy who worked in social media was saying it is frightening to get a comprehension of what's going on because ultimately what it boils down to is there's no one. There's so many facets to it. There's so many people involved. There's no one who alone by themselves can understand everything that's going on and how it works. Well, if that can happen with us as humans, how in the world can we ever ever think that we would get to the place where we would be able to know everything God knows? That's impossible. God is omniscient. omniscient. We are finite. Our our, our mental capacities are going to be limited even when we get to heaven. But the God who came to this earth has, he's, he, he has no limitations. Not only is he omniscient, number two, he is omnipresent. He lives, this is a, a term I can't really understand, but I think it describes well what is true about our God. He lives in the eternal present. Think about that. 
10 million years from now, when we're with him in heaven, to him today is the same. It's, the Bible says yesterday, today, and tomorrow is all, all the same to him. When, when it talks about the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, that's because he's looking at it from his position as being all, all present. He's not constrained by time or space. I've heard people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'll have a glorified body. I can just say the word and I'll be wherever I want to be. I don't think that's going to be true. I think we're going to have a physical presence in heaven. And I think we'll be able to move freely. And, and I think it'll be different than we are right now. But there's no way in this world that we as finite beings are ever going to be in a situation where we can be everywhere all the time at the same time. And that's who God is. I'm, I'm telling you this because I, I think we need to understand clearly who it is that came to this earth. He is all-knowing, he's all-present, and he is all-powerful. We're never going to be all-powerful. You say, well, we get to heaven, we're going to be able to do a lot more things than we can do now. Well, you know one of the great things that we're going to be able to do when we get to heaven that we can't do now? Actually, well, it's not something we're going to have to do because we won't have it to deal with. Nobody here can control their flesh. You do the best you can, and with God's help, you can make progress. But when we get to heaven, we won't have any flesh to control. But the point is, I, I you know, we had a man in our church. I was preaching one time on heaven. He came to me after the service one time, and he said, don't you, or he asked me, do you think you're going to be able to play golf in heaven? And I said, well, I don't know why that'd be a problem. I'm sure there's going to be opportunities for recreation in heaven. I mean, we're going to enjoy music, and we're going to enjoy being around the Lord. We're going to enjoy eating. The Bible's very clear about that. There are lots of things we're going to enjoy, and and I'm not sure. I don't I don't know that anybody knows. It may not be true, but it could be. And he said, well, if it was, wouldn't it get boring? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you get up on, on the first hole and you hit the ball and you make a hole in one. You get up on the second hole and you hit the ball and you make a hole in one. You get a little boring after a while. You know why he said that? Because he's assuming that it, when we get to heaven, we're going to be all-powerful. We're not going to be able to control things as we see fit. We're not going to have the power to speak and things move and all those kinds of things. God's the one who has that power. And uh, and he will be the one that has that power exclusively. Just remember that he is God alone. He's the only one. He's the only one that will ever be. We will be his servants and we will be his children and we'll enjoy his fellowship, but we will never be God. But that God, that eternal God, the creator of the universe is the one who came to this earth. God with us means that God alone was on this planet in human flesh. That's a big deal. His character. Consider, secondly, not just his character, but consider the the uh, the condescension of the sovereign God. This is what he did. The character of the sovereign God is who he is. The condescension of the sovereign God is what he did. So what did he do? The Bible says he came to dwell among us. He came to die. He came to arise from the grave. He came to, to 
to save us. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are three three things, three works that he, he, he came to accomplish that are very specific and listed in Scripture. And I believe all of them happen at the time a person trusts Christ. The first time is the first thing he came to do had to do with the work of reconciliation. He came to eliminate the condition of separation that existed between man and God. When God created man in the garden, and I and I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be much like it was in the Garden of Eden, a perfect environment. Now, when when Adam and Eve were created, God placed them in the Garden of Eden. What were, did, did God give them any instructions? Well, he did. Obviously, they could, could eat of every tree of the garden, but they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But did he give them any instructions beyond that? Well, he did. Adam had a responsibility. You remember what it was? He was to tend the garden. You believe we're going to have responsibilities in heaven? Things that we'll do? I think we will. I think we'll have jobs to do. I think there'll be things that, that we, we, we're not, I don't think we're just going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I wonder if I'll have to learn how to play the harp when I get to heaven. I bet I will. I bet I will. We're not, we're not just going to sit idly and sing praises to God all the time. We will be serving Him in a situation that I think is going to be very much like God intended it to be at the very beginning. So God gave them instructions as to what they were, what they were to do. Then they disobeyed. Adam and Eve disobeyed. And when that happened, God put them out of the garden and a barrier was formed between Adam and Eve, between man and God. And, and Old Testament saints did not have access to God's like to God like we do. They did not, they did not know His presence like we do. The presence of God inhabited some kings and some prophets and that kind of thing. But the average Jew in the Old Testament communicated with God through his sacrifices through the high priest. And, and he got his communication from God to him. Where? From the prophet. That was how God communicated with man because there was a barrier. The temple had, had a, the, the, the holiest of all had a, there was a, a, a curtain there that only the high priest could go in. And man was separated from God by his sin. And when Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, he made it possible for sinful man to be reconciled with that one who is God alone. And I am so thankful that that's true. So now, when I read the Word of God, the Spirit of God speaks to my heart, specifically to me as an individual. I don't have to have a priest to come or a prophet to come and tell me what God wants me to do. I get it from, from God Himself. And when I have a need, I don't have to wait for the, a church service or, or, or go to the temple so I can offer a sacrifice. To be able to communicate with God. I just, I just speak His name and pray to Him silently as I'm driving down the road or as I'm laying in bed or whatever's going on. You communicate with Him because Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. 
and we have direct access to God. That's reconciliation. And by the way, that is the greatest, I believe that's the greatest benefit of our salvation. Far greater than heaven. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place and we'll spend eternity in heaven with the Lord because we've been reconciled to him. Second work he came to do is redemption, which means he came to eliminate the condemnation of sin. Before I got saved, I was under the guilt of my sin. And God said that all sin must be punished. And and a man who refuses to put his trust in Christ ends up paying for his own sin. There, there. You know, you see people all the time. They talk about, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, wherever I am, whenever this life is over, then I hope things will be okay. Or, you know, all, and, I, and I could bring you quotes from all these different people who have said that kind of thing. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen after we die. But uh, I'm going to be somewhere wherever I am. I'm hoping everything's going to be okay. Well, that's a, that's a very sad way to live your life. It's a tragic way to live their life because those people are going to end up finding themselves in a position that they didn't want to be in. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he take away the barrier between us and God, he took away the penalty for our sin. He paid it in our place. The greatest transaction that ever has taken place in history is when Jesus took that on the cross, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Man, you talk about a, a, a good trade. I trade my, the penalty for my sin, the punishment for eternity, for my sin, for the righteousness of God. That's what happened. That's redemption. And the third thing, work he came to accomplish was the work of regeneration which is to eliminate the corruption of sin. I'm, 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 when I, when I trusted Christ and He redeemed me, He paid my sin debt so that I don't have to pay it. But when He made me alive again, gave me new life, I was regenerated, I was quickened. When that happened, then I got separation from the corruption of sin. Now, we're still battling it on this earth, but when the Lord returns and we go to meet Him in the air, then then that's all going to be passed away. That's going to be gone. Paul talked in Romans 7 about the battle he had with his flesh. That's all going to be gone when we get to heaven. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So reconciliation, redemption, regeneration, and this is God alone who came and took upon him human flesh to do those things for us. And then the third thing that I want you to see, not only the character of the sovereign God, the condensation of our sovereign God, but thirdly, the concern of our sovereign God, and that is why he came. And that's very simple. He came to us because he loves us. That's hard to understand, but he came because he loves us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He came because he loves us. Now, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love most of the people I pastored over the years. 
I love everybody I've pastored here. Every preacher, every preacher will say the same thing. There are some people, the pastors, and, and even some people we say we love, yeah, I love them, but I don't like them very much, <laughs> you know, because we're humans, and that's our nature. But you know, there was nobody that God looked at and said, I don't love, I don't love him. There's nobody that he looked at and said, that guy's beneath my grace. There's been nobody like that because God loves everybody. I don't understand that kind of love, nor do, there's nobody in this room that understands that kind of love because it's beyond our understanding. But God loves us. He loves us in spite of the fact that we're depraved. All of us are depraved. We have a problem because we look at people and compare ourselves to other people. And we think, well, I understand why God couldn't love him. But I don't understand why he can't love me. I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good guy. And we all have a tendency to think that way. But when they say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, it's true. There is none of us. There, there are none of us that are in any better condition as far as God loving us than anybody else. God doesn't look at us and say, well, this guy is, is got, you know, he's, he's got a problem with sin. But this, this, and this guy does too, but it's not, it's not as bad. God is pure and absolutely righteous. When, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and saw the holiness of God, it affected him so dramatically that he couldn't even look at him. He fell on his face and, and, the, and, and, it, and the, 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 the attitude he had about himself is I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. We talk about getting to heaven and seeing the Lord and what a wonderful thing it's going to be. I long to see my Savior first of all. And that is going to be a wonderful thing to see our God. But I guarantee you, every one of us, the first time we lay eyes on the Lord, we're going to be so humbled by His purity and His righteousness. And our only response is going to be to fall at His feet and say, how in the world could He have loved me? I know what I am. You know what you are. And we all are as unworthy as we can be of the love of God. How he loves us, I don't know, but he does because we are depraved. We're depraved, we're diseased, we're detestable, and yet God loves us. And that God, the God of eternity, the, 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 the one who is God alone, he is the one who came to this earth. Emmanuel, God with us. Hope you understand the significance of that. Christmas has become so commonplace and we, and we sing all the songs and we think about, but it, but, but every now and then we need to just take a moment and realize that this is the God who created the universe, who loves us and who said, you know what? I, 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 one other illustration very quickly. We like to watch, uh, these TV programs on Home and Garden TV. You ever watch them? where they, they uh, remodel houses. And there's one called Flip or Flop. Yeah, well, you've seen it. I can tell by your reaction. Flip or Flop. And, and they keep going into these houses, and they walk in, and they say, Oh, 
you know, this smells so bad. And they look around and, and you start looking at them. They say they just moved out last week and you, and you, and you, how in the world could they have lived in that? You know what? They go in and they clean it all up and fix it all up, you know. But I would not want to step foot in the room because the rooms are so filthy. They're, they're just corrupt. They're, 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 they make you want to, I mean, every now and then I'm going to say, I think I'm going to get sick. God, I can understand why they would. You understand that as, as horrible a representation that is of something that is detestable, it does not come close to what God sees when he looks at this world. And Jesus said, not only am I going to come in there and, and clean it up, but I'm going to come down there. And he wasn't going to be able to clean it all up because it depended on, on people's response. But he said, I'm, I'm going to come there and I'm going to live there. I'm going to live there. I'm going to take up residence there. And I'm going to live among these people who are so diseased and depraved and detestable and so filthy and hard to, hard to love. I'm going to, I love them anyway and I'm going to come. And I'm going to give them the greatest gift that anyone could ever give anyone. And that is I'm going to give my son to die in their place, to reconcile them to me, to give me, to give them freedom from their sin, I'm going to do that because I love them. The message of Emmanuel, God with us, the first part, his ancestry, is his unmeasurable grace. Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you've done, none of that matters. God will still receive you if you'll come to him. The message of the arrival, Emmanuel, God with us, is God's unspeakable gift. How do you even describe it? But he did that. He gave himself for us. Don't take for granted what we celebrate this year. God alone, the one who is by himself, there is none other like him. He came to this earth to redeem us reconcile ourselves to himself and to give us new life because he loves us. Don't ever, don't ever get to the place where you take that for granted. And if you're here and you don't know for sure that you've been redeemed, let me encourage you to to <clears throat> to come to him. Trust him as your savior. He died to save you and you can have that relationship with him that he wants you to have and have a home in heaven. To, to live with him for eternity. Let's stand together with this. My eyes closed.